Hello and welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for being with us. Our Legends of Commercial Real Estate series continues today as 2020 Track Chair Bill Cauley of Cauley Partners sits down with Matthews Southwest founder and president Jack Matthews. Jack founded Matthews Southwest in 1988, three years after becoming president of the Matthews Family Construction Company, Matthews Group LTD, and overseeing a period of unprecedented growth in which company revenues jumped from $69 million to more than $500 million. From 1991 through 1993, Jack served as CEO of Paxport International. The firm awarded the $4 billion contract to privatize and redevelop Pearson International Airport in Toronto. And in 1994, he purchased Matthews Southwest and relocated to Dallas. In addition to its Louisville headquarters, Matthews Southwest has offices in Dallas, Calgary, Alberta, Mississauga, Ontario, and Dubai, which focuses on the company's projects in the EMEA region of Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. On today's show, Jack talks about his life and career, including his move to DFW, and how the pandemic has affected his approach to business. This is the fourth installment of our Legends of Commercial Real Estate series. You can listen to our previous interviews with Jeff Swope of Champion Partners, Michelle Wheeler of Jackson Shaw, and Michael Dardick of Granite Properties by subscribing to TrackCast wherever you get your podcasts. It's also the best way to get all new episodes right to your mobile device. Now, here's Jack Matthews, a legend of commercial real estate, right here on TrackCast. So Jack, I'm excited about this because we know each other, but not well. And I have so, well, I'm so intrigued by what you've accomplished, and I have so much respect for what you've accomplished. I've never met anybody um, that isn't, doesn't have positive things to say about you when your name comes up. So, like, if I'm in a meeting and some reason your name comes up, it's every time it's positive. So that's something you should be proud of, and um, it makes me want to know you better. And so I jumped at the chance to do this. So uh, I'm glad you're doing it. I appreciate your time. No, I'm, I'm happy to do it. So tell me about your business. I, I mean, my view is you're in lots of different markets. I mean, um, t- just give me the basics on your business. And like what asset classes you're in, et cetera, so everybody kind of knows what you, what you do, other than what they see in the paper. So we, I'd say most of our, most of our equity is in land. Um, we're heavy in land in Vancouver, Canada, outside of Vancouver, a um, little bit in Toronto, um, almost, I'd say about 40% in the Dallas area. Mm-hmm. So that's our, probably our biggest equity. Our biggest revenues come from large buildings. So hotels, offices, um, condominiums, all that type of stuff. I so think in mostly, sorry, you build to keep mostly or buy to keep. No, I, I would say we keep maybe 20% of, uh, probably a little bit less than that of what we actually build. Mm-hmm. And it used to be, we would only, you know, develop things we would own. Yeah. But I really got pushed and pushed and pushed to develop for other people, which I'd done when I was younger in the construction business. Right. So it, uh, it's really, we have a hotel division that up until eight months ago, um, they had, you know, 
think they had probably three billion dollars of work on the on the books. Um, so, but you know, that's that's down to maybe three hundred million um, right. of, of of work. But I think most of that that will come back again. It's I just not coming back quick. Okay, so do you are you in all asset classes? Then are you? I mean, so we do we do industrial primarily in Canada. Although right. we do have some industrial land here, but usually we just buy it and title it, sell it. Um, in Canada, we'll actually buy for a user. So for instance, we're partners with CN Rail in Canada, in Calgary, where we've done a number of industrial buildings, um, uh-huh. but we will we'll actually sell them before we uh, build them. Got it. So, and so it, when you buy land, are you buying land to invest and develop or just get out in front of growth and sell to a developer that wants to develop it? So for instance, the tribute, you know, we bought somewhere around 1500 acres of land over a long period of time. Yeah. So we developed it out, ended up selling to the to builders for the majority of it, but you know, we'll build a hotel there. We'll, um, we'll own some residential at the end of the day and we'll own the two golf courses. So wow. it's, um, so, so you, I, I own a golf course and it's not a lot of fun. Are you enjoying owning golf courses? We have three golf courses and I hate to tell you, uh, they all make, they all make money. Oh my gosh. Um, you know what, maybe after this, we're going to have to talk. Maybe you can give me some direction because, you know, I've owned a golf course, uh, 13 years and every year, uh, you know, it's been in the red. It's been, um, it hadn't been as much fun as I thought it would be. Yeah, I, I didn't get into, I did a built a golf course, a tribute, leased it to yeah. American Golf. Yeah. Um, and so I just did a lease and then I, they weren't operating it the way I wanted it operated. So I built the old American um, as, a, as a private resort club. So we'll put the mm-hmm. hotel, we took back the, the tribute from an operating standpoint and they both do very well. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So how, what's your philosophy on picking a market? I mean, why are you in Dallas? Why did you come? About 28 years ago, I was asked by the company I worked for to find a market outside of Canada that basically had the same business ethics, uh, was one flight away from Toronto and they spoke English. Um, those, that was my direction. So I uh-huh. got down to three markets, Southern California, Southern Florida, in Texas. Texas was the most beat up at the time and yeah. I thought had the most potential. Right. So, um, so I chose, you know, Dallas, Texas to invest in. I left the family company going to the airport business and three years later I had a chance to buy the, uh, the, the, uh, Dallas company. Yeah. So in 94, I bought the Dallas company. And is that when you moved to Dallas? Yeah. Got it. Okay, and what about, tell me about your family, because I don't know about your family, kids, wife. I just, I just have uh, four children. Four, any of them in the business? Uh, my son is in the business. Uh, my oldest daughter, my guess is she'll be in the business. Awesome. But right now she's in Denver, she's got three kids. Uh-huh. My son is in Vancouver, and I've got a daughter in uh, Long Island, Port Jefferson, and a, and a daughter here in Dallas. So how many grandkids? Just, just three. Awesome, three's pretty good. I've got three, and uh, grandkids are a great deal, in my opinion. I mean, they, 
you get them when you want them and they leave when you don't. It's, it's uh, to me, to me, grandkids are the most fun you can have, period. I completely agree. I mean, I don't get enough time with my grandkids. They're the best. Okay, so how did you get into commercial real estate? Why did you I get was, Why did I pick Dallas or why did I pick? No, why, real estate. How did you get into the business to start? It, it picked me, really. Um, my father's construction company, interest rates went from 6 to 18%. He had a bunch of, I think he had that largest cat equipment uh, fleet in Canada at the time. And you could not work that stuff 24 hours a day and make money. Mm -hmm. So um, I basically got into all the different pieces of land he had, different assets he had, and turned them into cash. No one was buying anything unless it was a leased building or you know a gas station site or something. So I ended up in the development business purely out of need uh -huh. and then found out I liked it a lot better than construction. So that's... So was the goal when you were doing that is looking to liquidate assets? Yeah, it was pure, purely finding cash. Got it. Purely finding cash. But you, you so the first you had to develop to get to create value. Yeah. So one of the first deals I did was a medical dental building. Uh huh. Yeah, partnered with a, a number of doctors and dentists and uh, filled filled up the building, built it, and sold it, and everyone was happy. But really, what I wanted to do was just sell the land. Right. Up making money on the on the actual building as well okay so like I've always found for me I've learned more from my mistakes than my from my wins yeah. do you have one or or two deals or, or mistakes you made that maybe you could and, and you I wish I wish about. I had I wish I had one or two <laughs> so yeah I'm with you that, but any that taught you a lesson that kind of that that maybe is Put in, made you put into practice something where you'll never go do that again, maybe. Like for me, what, uh, one, I've learned, I want to work with a lender I know. I want, it's all about the people in my opinion. So I bet on people and it's about the, the people I'm, I'm, I'm doing a deal with. Like when I was early in my career, if somebody give me the money, I'd take it. And today I won't. I mean, it's, we just need to be aligned. And it's just from learning that you get into a deal and you've got different morality views and just different views on business and it just doesn't work but i, I was wondering if there's been any situation in your business that kind of i, have, I basically it changed things yeah so so basically i have rules for myself that come out of yeah. bad situations yeah and so one of the rules is i always invest in my deals yes and my money goes right beside um whatever other money comes in Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is I don't make any fee profit. I'll put the expenses of, of operating, so an accounting expense and that type of expense in, but I won't make any profit until all the capital is returned and an interest is, is paid on that capital. So I never want to be in a position where I'm making money and no one else is. You're not. You're lying totally. So are, do, you, do you earn fees? You just don't get them out until everybody's covered or do you not charge yeah. No, and, and we're, we're definitely on the low side of fees. Uh -huh. um, yeah, my CFOs explained to me, on more than one occasion, we only collect about half of what we spend in recouping our fees. So yeah, we're low. But, uh -huh. but the end result is you don't lose investors ever. Um, right. You treat their money better than your own. Right. And it works. So. And, and uh, any, any deal that kind of 
went in a ditch that like taught you a lesson other than that? I mean, like I know oh seven eight nine leverage was a one thing I learned. I I um, I I had really I thought good basis, but leverage is where I had an issue, and then leverage with lenders I had no relationship with. I mean, I had the capital to pay them, pay them down, but it was just a lesson I learned. Anything like that? Yeah, sure. Lots of things like that. So I, I am very low leverage. Yeah. I think if you had looked across, you know, our companies were, were probably in the 15 to 20% leveraged. Um, so wow. very, very low. Um, now I use a lot of equity. So I basically, I share a lot of upside. The way I describe sharing upside is I'm selling risk. Right. Yeah, I'll make less when something happens, but I'm always there when it happens. Right. I never want to be in a position where I'm not there after I've seen something. Right. That's a, and so what, what about philosophies with uh, leading your company and or uh, like you've got, you're in so many different asset classes and you've got an expansive business. You got to have great people, right? I mean, are are you a delegator? Are you are you one that's involved I'm, in everything, or what? You know, what's your view there? So I've, I've got a bunch of different views, and you probably get a better answer talking to some of my some of my guys. But I am a I'm a very trusting leader. Uh -huh. I lead by example in the sense I, I work very hard. Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm very disciplined, whether it's personal life or or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, but leading by example. It's I share profits, so I don't I don't pay. I, I probably pay under market and salary, mm -hmm. and I definitely over bonus. Um, so my guys can make great money. Mm -hmm. um, they're all they're all people who can get it done themselves, and they they learn when to come back to me. So right. they learn okay if this problem is outside their normal deal, they gotta come back and talk. So but it's. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, if, if you have quality people, one, everybody I've met that works for you, I have I actually have been impressed with them as as people and professionals. But I mean, when you get somebody that's good, you've got to be taking care of them or they, there has to be value between the relationship or they'll leave, right? So obviously, whatever you're doing is right. It's, um, I, it's fine. I got, I got, told this by a friend of mine, Fritz uh, Duda, that he had met, I, I think it was a, okay. he had met with the, I think the chairman of Coke who was outgoing, who told him, Fritz asked him, how do you manage all these people? What do you, he said, well, I have a very interesting um, hiring philosophy. I divide people into patriots and mercenaries and I'll hire both, but I know what a patriot is gonna look after the company and all the people around him first then he'll look after himself. The mercenary may be more effective, go out and get a job completed, but he'll go for a dollar more somewhere else. And right. so I think he had a high ratio of uh, patriots. So I looked at my company after he told me this because I never thought of, God, of it that it. way. It actually made, I have a incredibly high number of patriots. Yeah. Um, and, but I do have some mercenaries that are out doing some things that, that get stuff done. Right. Um, so it's a, but the mercenary using a rifle approach and, but most of my guys, they're, they're all battling to get it done for the, for the good of everyone. Right. You know, one of the hardest things for me in, in business has been 
losing a good employee or like, like, uh, as I, 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 and I've changed so much. I mean, I softened, uh, about mid forties and became so much, I was so focused on, on growing and building a business. And, um, I've learned it's not, it's not at all about the money. It's about focusing on the client and, and just doing what's right for the client. That's exactly what you're saying in your way. But, um, but like when you get somebody, it's so hard to find good people. And like, I, it's, um, I've found that, um, you know, um, I, I'm going to go back and look at what I've got compared to what you just said, because it makes a lot of sense there, but, but, um, you know, a good, loyal, functioning employee is just worth gold. I mean, because it hurts to lose people, you know. You spend a lot of time and you, you like them. I mean, they become your friends. My, you know, my, my business is my family. I feel that way too, it sounds like. No, the people you spend most time you're closest to, you enjoy their company, or the people you work with for the most part. So, I mean, I think you've said this, but one of our questions was like leadership. I mean... Do you have, I mean, beyond what you've talked about, do you have any kind of a, um, things you think about in leading your company? I'm, I'm not a great communicator. I expect people to know what I'm thinking, which uh -huh. is a huge, huge, uh, I don't know, downfall, but yeah. it, it works because I've got people around who really listen and, and explain to others what's going on. So uh -huh. I'm, I'm always trying to figure out what's around the corner. Right. And sometimes I forget to tell my guys what I've discovered before the corner. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's, um, but it works. It, it, we get, we get through it. So. And so um, you've been work with COVID, right? I, I, I'm an optimist and um, like going into COVID, I thought it was going to be, I don't know, four to six months, you know, and again, I didn't know what, what COVID was. But early on, I, I was very optimistic that it would, we'd figure it out and move on. I'm now thinking it's next year about this time, you know, uh, before we kind of get vaccined and, and everybody's kind of starting to move forward. I do, I, I'm a very bullish on Dallas long-term, but, but what's your view? Like, uh, you've been through downturns before. I mean, what, what is, what's your approach? I mean, your team, how do you keep them focused? I mean, how do you deal with issues? Because I, I would say through COVID, our experience is a little different than, than most I hear about. Because we, the offices are, are open, but no one is required to go in. Right. Um, so what happens is generally if you walk into one of our offices right now, the accounting staff is probably there at you know, 30%. Um, but everyone's getting their job done. The the efficiency of being on a call versus driving to a meeting is incredible. Um, our workload is, has gone up in many areas. Um, so it, from a production point of view, it hasn't hurt us at all. Our communication with the key guys is, is really strong. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, but I think it's a function of what we work is we're, we're all over in the sense we're in Philadelphia or in Toronto or in Calgary mm -hmm. or in South Florida you know, in different cities. Um, so we're all over the place to start with. And so we were doing a lot of things remotely, uh, even though we never thought of it as doing it remotely. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, 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 so as a result, we were kind of built for this environment without ever knowing it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, 
yeah, it's affected like the, the hotel business it's affected seriously but we've never been busier on industrial uh the residential market's great um you know the, what have you what 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 do you think has changed in our business because of covid do you think do you think people are not going to come back to the office the way they were do you think they're going to have a lot of people working from home um so, you, you know what do you think's changed so like, we've yeah. We're currently working on one office deal. Up until two weeks ago, we were working on two office deals. Uh -huh. um, neither one here, but both of them wanted the same thing. They wanted a building that was effectively built for a pandemic in the sense of um, high, high ceilings, fresh air, um, escalators, not elevators. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, in my mind, designing the old subside, uh, um, the old, you know, warehouse. Right. Really don't want to get over about four stories, big floor plates. Um, but it's, um, so I think people don't want to be in a glass box. Um, and uh, you and I do a lot of, have done a lot of glass boxes. Yeah. Um, it's, I think the, when you talk to the, the people in New York and, and LA who are looking at coming here, they're, I think they're actually not in step yet with where their people are. I, I, when they're looking for office space, they're buying a commodity almost. Um, but at the end of the day, their users, the people, they'll, they'll, they'll want something that's much more flexible. So I believe strongly it's gonna change. Even when the pandemic's gone, um, people want a future proof. They may, Certainly, people do forget fast, right. that's, that's a, but this one, I don't know, what are we at, 250,000 people who have died in this, and 9-11, right. you know, I think, was around 3,000. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, you think of the shock. Right. So, do you think that, um, so you obviously think that they're going to use space differently. I mean, do you think, um, I, uh, I kind of think the next three to four years, anybody that who's, has a lease coming up, uh, is going to shrink because I think that people are going to try to have a percentage of people have more flexible, you know, work at home if they want, but also maybe keep a keep a office environment that they can come to. Do you think any of those shifts are permanent? Hey, you know, I can, I can only tell you my crystal ball is only good for about eighteen months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. After right. three three years to get stuff, if I I can argue the opposite, they'll need more space because they you won't right. have five per thousand and, and on. Um, so if you have two per thousand or, you know, rotating workforces, um, some, some people need offices. Right. Um, I do. You know, I like being at the office personally because of the collaboration. Yeah. See, I, I can get our collaboration going on the, on the zoom call. The or, zoom. Yeah. Yeah. Or the telephone pretty well. But. Okay. Like for me, <clears throat> what COVID did for me was, <clears throat> The slower pace, like I'm always running from, I, I think I build fires to chase. Like I'm a guy, the dog chasing the bus. You know, I, I just, I love work and I just do. And I, I mean, like I'm a golfer, but not a good one. But if you had to ask me to pick golf or work, I'd pick work because it's, I, I just get more enjoyment out of it. Sure. Um, and my focus on work is different today than it was when I was in my forties. It's about, giving people paths to success and try and, and 
just creating opportunities for other people. And it's more relational than it's ever been in my career. But one thing that COVID taught me, and it, which was really an eye-opener for me, is I kind of liked the more balanced living. <laughs> you know, I, Jack, I actually think I figured out finally, and I'm in my, you know, late 67, that balance, I've always been working towards balance, but I, I think I've really kind of got more of a balance in my life. And again, I pick my spots, I work hard, but I, I, I'm not a guy that, that wants to visit at work. I just want to get things done so I can go also live my life. Is any, right. Did you have anything like that hit you during COVID? Or Not during COVID. No, it happened during my uh, airport deals in uh, in Toronto, where I was basically working, you know, 90, 100 hours a week. Uh-huh. And uh, I came home and found out my uh, my daughter had been walking for three months and I didn't know. Um, so I was like, okay. So when I moved to Texas, I really stopped working on the weekends. Um, yeah. It's, it's a rare, rare weekend where I have a meeting or something. Um, so it's... Yeah, I, I work hard, but I but I limit it to certain hours. Okay, and so like during Monday through Friday, or how many hours a week would you say you work on Monday through Friday? I mean, are you working? Yeah, probably fifty-five, something like that. Okay, it's fair. Yeah, that's good balance. That's good, in my, in my opinion. I mean, because I'll get home at a reasonable time to have dinner with my family, but then once we we have all the family time, I my wife gives me an hour or two to go back and clean up emails and stuff, you know, to where. So I'm, not, or I'm not. I'm not allowed to uh, clean up those emails after after I come home. That's great. That's even better. Yeah, I used to do that, and then she said, "I sit on the couch doing my emails," and she said, uh, "Why don't you just stay at the office?" I said, "Okay, I think I just learned something here." <laughs> I think your wife's smart. Oh, she's definitely. And you know smart. what? I think you're smart enough to pay attention too. <laughs> I, I try. I try. So, do you ever? Do you ever think about failure? Do you have fear of it? I mean, does it even enter your mind or do you just keep moving forward? Um, I, I used to, but the feel of failure was, you know, making payroll, um, have enough money to put your kids in school, yeah. um, all that sort of stuff. It's, yeah. it's you know, I've, I've been up and down a few times. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, when I moved to Texas, I really started over, like uh-huh. completely over. Um, uh-huh. You know, put a mortgage on the house, sold my house in Toronto and, and just started over the um, when you do that it, it I, it's the best time you'll ever have but you don't do it again <laughs> exactly the I have best been, stories I, I completely agree I can tell you um, right you don't you don't want to go back there my I mean, it's not a fear but it's always an probably accomplished a fair amount but in the end they end up they haven't they haven't accumulated anything they have no security in their life it's a constant deal it's and and that's my number one goal in life is to never end up there you know i mean because we all real estate is such an illiquid business you know when it goes again like in hotels if you had high leverage you'd be getting a lot more pressure than you have with the leverage the way you said you're doing it yeah. and you are much more stable investor <clears throat> through thick and thin and you can make it to the other side because of your conservative approach yeah 
Yeah, your finance books would say I'm doing it all wrong, but as a life, as a life, it's 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 for me, it's the right way to go. Right, I I completely agree. So it, let's say if you were 25, 28, 30, just getting started in the real estate business, what you know, what advice would you have for people? You know, how do you get to where you got? You've got all this going on. You've accomplished all this. So when I, when, I, when I moved here, you know, I did a number of, you know, small lots. Um, so I'd buy an acre, divide it into four or five lots. I'd buy two acres. Um, mm -hmm. I was just trying to make money to, you know, to get to the next, the next deal. Next. And so on a personal basis, you know, no, no private plane. I, I don't spend much money. Uh, mm -hmm. We live pretty, I'm in the same house that I was when, when I moved here 26 years ago. Um, when you don't have the, the spend side of life. So what I see a lot of guys do, they, they, they do well, well on a deal. And then they assume they're going to do well on the next five deals. So they, they get the roles or whatever. Um, they have the new memberships and, and then right. it doesn't work that way. So right. you and I have both seen that so many times. Um, so it's, so I would say to a young guy starting in the business or a young lady starting in the business, it's all about your reputation. Um, just your reputation is everything to your investors, to the cities, to the city managers, to whoever you deal with. Um, protect it. Like your handshake has to be your bond, which is old fashioned, but it's the way it's got to be. Um, even when people don't expect it, surprise them. Um, it's, and then just do stuff that's within your reach. So it was, uh, you know, I had all the talent of building the, the big buildings. That's what I did in Canada, a lot of it. But I came here and I did, I did housing deals, um, just trying to build. So, and then I would basically take that profit, put it into a piece of land and sit there. Um, and that's just kept on, you know, rinse and repeat. Right, because like one of the things like I tell young people when they come talk to me is, you're never going to have more uh, flexibility in your life than when you are than right now when you're young. Like you get you get married, then you get you know you get a mortgage. I mean, all those things limit your flexibility to take advantage of opportunity in real estate. So because I mean, I have people that come to me that are in selling life insurance, whatever, another industry, and they want to get into real estate, they're mid thirties, and they're married with two kids and a mortgage, you know, they got to go get a salary. And, and so they're limited. So I think that advice is very good. I mean, it's, it's, it's about um, um, having the flexibility to make a commitment to do what it takes to, to succeed, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, some people would look at me and say, my balance there is not good. Um, and I also have a, a fear of giving too much money to kids because I've seen kids destroyed by money. Yeah. Um, so I spend a lot of my time right now actually figuring out ways to share partnerships with charities and all that good stuff. And that's, that's incredibly fulfilling. So right. it's a, giving back. Yeah. Giving back without, I don't like the idea of just writing checks. So what I try to do is, is put charities in deals. Um, and it's such a great idea. So I use my expertise to, and they get to understand a little bit of the experience. That's right. 
so one of the things about um, I think giving is better than getting. I actually do too. I agree with you there. And one of the things for me is to do it quietly because then I know I'm doing it for the right reasons. Yep. You know, I mean, I'm not standing there giving you a check or or doing making the big this. the big oversized check here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so and yeah. and um, I always try to do it very quietly because then I know I'm doing it for the right reason and in my heart. But I love the idea about because I do. Um, I, I do pieces of deals into an entity that gives it away, but I love you. I like that idea. So, so I've learned something from you today. And secondly, I want to re reiterate, I, I have never, I've only met one person uh, that where, where the kids had lots of wealth that wasn't a train wreck. I mean, so I agree with you. I think people have to go feel a self-worth and feel like they've earned what they've got. I think to to be productive in life. So I I completely uh, agree with you. Even though it would, I think I could have been good at it if my dad would have left me a bunch of money. <laughs> he never did. But I think I'm I'm healthy enough to have handled it. But um, I totally agree with that. I tell my kids, I go, you're going to get a good education and uh, you know some guidance, but you're on your own. You know, and I think they need that. I think they need to know that they did it themselves. So I, I tell them I'm a developer. I could go bankrupt any day. So yes. just just plan your own life without without any thoughts of me. Exactly. Okay, so what are you excited about looking forward? Well, what am I excited about looking forward? That's a that's a great question. It's a bunch of things. I'm I I deal with with um a group called Urban Specialists in South Dallas. Uh-huh. Um Urban specialists are made up of ex-cons, ex-drug dealers, ex-bad bad people who are devoting their life to teaching kids, young adults, that they have choices. And um, so I'm partnered with them in a couple of deals. So we bought 60 lots in um, Mill City, south of, of uh, Fair Park. Yeah. And uh, we're opening up this little thing called Doc's Convenience. And... It's a production kitchen. It's a it's a local coffee shop. It it'll sell vegetables. You won't be able to buy Coke and chips there, yeah. but you'll be able to buy broccoli and what have you. So the the um, I think the name of the coffee shop is going to be called Arbucks. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's uh, I don't have final approval with my partners on that yet, but I love it. The yeah, um, I love that. So it's, it's a community gathering spot in a food desert. Um, and so we've got 60, 60 lots around it. And I do some housing in, in Houston and I'm gonna take that template and hopefully move it into Dallas where people in the neighborhood will be, end up building the houses. In a perfect world, they end up owning the drywall company, the plumbing company, but that's, that takes a long time to happen. Um, so you're going to let them get involved in actually building a building. They're problems. my 50% partner. Um, and so it's, um, anyway, we'll, it's, it's, it's fun, but the future of basically going in these neighborhoods and, and trying to protect the existing people um, is huge. Yeah. And so it's, you know, for a developer making money, I'm doing it just completely wrong. But, yeah, for someone who's, yeah, I, th I think we can, I think we can do some good. So 
it's a really a small little tiny thing in the worldview, but it could be a big change. Yeah. So like one of the things that's been a real reward for me about leading Trek this year, because it's been a weird, weird year, no fight night, none yeah. of that, but has been um, being alongside Linda in the South Dallas and what we're doing there. Yeah. And, and also, like I did the, uh, <clears throat> with Dardick and, and Craig Hall, we did the uh, Shark Tank. Yeah. And, and Jack, going through, we're two years in, we're two years in on trying to get a, a deal done and with, our, with, our, um, with our developer. And it's not about, um, they have the want, but it's about having it be a teaching or a learning experience. So when it's, like we could go in and do it for them and then it'd be done. But that doesn't, that's not doing anything. You're not getting anything done. You're not not helping. Right. It's been unbelievable. It's been frustrating, but rewarding because we've just committed to saying, you have to do it. We're here to help you, but you have to get it done. And I think we're going to get there, but it has been a real eye opener for me as to what the need is. I mean, because it's well beyond just giving them money. It's, uh, and I admire you for being being there. And I will tell you, I am always going to be involved down there from here on out. I because I <clears throat> when people and this is just me when people come to me and they want me to write a check for Biafra or you know I want to do Dallas. I want to do my home because there's a lot of needs here. Not that yeah, the other needs aren't real, but um, I, and I also want to be involved. I don't want to just write the check. I, w- I want some tangible experience. So um, I make sure that whatever I'm doing, right, or I make, I'm trying to make a difference. You know, you want it to yeah. be real. Yeah, so that's, I'll, I'll, I'll take you on a tour someday. You know what I was going to ask? I would love to go down there and see that. I really would. Okay. Yeah, you'd, All right. You'd, so love to, you'd love to meet the people. But my, my uh, Omar Jawar, who's the, the head is he's he's just gotten out of the hospital after a month from COVID and it's uh he's learning to walk again he's learned to, to eat again it's just it's a incredibly tough deal was he on a ventilator oh yeah no he was oh, he was wow. in a coma for six days wow yeah. you know that disease is the craziest thing because um <clears throat> virus I guess it's not a disease but you know my daughter had it with no symptoms we all quarantined. None of us got it. I've had employees that get it and they're in their mid thirties and it's been a 10 day deal. And then you get somebody, you know, and, but even young and old can get it and it can be significant. So it's something to definitely respect, but uh, it's, it's crazy. But listen, I want to thank you for your time today. I mean, um, I, I, you know, one of my goals would always be to get some, get to know you better. Cause I really just outside looking in, I just think you got it figured out. And, and the one thing I know you got figured out is you're paying attention to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> cause like at home, when I get home, I, I'm, my wife says, why do you keep working? I go, cause when I say no at work, they, they, they listen. <laughs> I, my wife's in charge and I know she is. And I love it that way. Cause she, she makes a lot better decisions than I do. But uh, I just want you to know I appreciate you, and uh, I respect you, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this. No, enjoyed it very much.
That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank Bill Cauley and Jack Matthews for their time. If you liked today's interview and you want to hear more from our Legends of Commercial Real Estate series, go subscribe to TrekCast wherever you download podcasts. We put out all new episodes almost every week, so check us out. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.